boy was only 13 when he died of an overdose. Another was 18 months as the death toll has rose. With fentanyl mixed with heroin in a 10-year-old that died, our country is in crisis as our youth seek suicide. The attempt to reduce supply has not removed it from our hand. It's time we offer hope by reducing the demand. Four children in Ohio who awoke and found them dead. They walked into the room and found their parents in their bed. A three-year-old girl whose parents neglected to check died from an overdose of meth and subutex. An 11-year-old from Pittsburgh overdosed last year. What happened to those days when we started with a beer? Look at how things are as we're improving our technology. We ask to speak the truth, but we punish real honesty. The bullying of today, it doesn't have to end at school because you post embarrassing videos and show that you're a fool. We teach our youth delusions, pretending it's not real. Condoms should be offered as harm reduction is ideal. Maybe we should teach them how to safely test their dope before they stick it in their arms so they're not dangling from a rope. Kids today seem fragile, very emotionally disconnected. Nothing like we used to be as we fought when disrespected. Sensitivity has shaped our culture as laws prevent what's right. Teach our kids the truth so we keep them in the light. Don't worry about the history in fourth or fifth grade. It's the self-esteem and life skills that mustn't be delayed. Parents and teachers today must help them find a passion, determination, and empathy. It's time to have compassion. The death toll is rising. And just say no isn't right. We must begin the lessons or the flames will soon ignite. Tell your kids you love them and hold them close to you. If we don't do something now, you may lose one or even two. So I'm here to express my opinion on one of the most debated topics in the recovery communities, harm reduction. Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to Recovering Through Highness. My name is Eric McCoy. Harm reduction is aimed at reducing negative consequences that are associated with drug use. It's a strategy that doesn't dispute abstinence, which I highly encourage, but to meet drug users where they are. Drugs are here and they're not going away. So as I choose to live in the real world and for myself have learned to live in the world where it's at, Choose not to use it, but whether you like it or not, listen and elicit drug use and abuse is part of our world. And I want to reduce the harmful effects rather than simply ignore or condemn them. You know, we can choose to continue and condemn, hate, and imprison drug users. The harm's not going to go away. Why not allow? drug users, and those with a history of drug use routinely have a real voice in the creation of programs and policies designed to serve them. Poverty, class, racism, social isolation, past trauma, sex-based discrimination, and other social inequalities affect their vulnerability and capacity for effectively dealing with drug-related harm. I don't ignore the harm. 
and danger associated with illicit and illicit drug use. You know, there was a Canadian study that was tested and they, they used this safe injection house that was designed to reduce the rate of overdose fatalities within the neighboring vicinity. So researchers looked at a center which was opened in Vancouver in 2003, and they compared the number of drug-related deaths before and after this event. Now, in the two years prior to the opening, there was a total of 290 people that died from an overdose. And a third of these were occurring within 500 meters into Canada <laughs> of where the center was located. Now, after the opening, the rate of overdose deaths decreased by 35% in the local area. By comparing this to the overall decrease of 9.3% of the rest of the city, you know, there's a reason to believe that these injection houses have some very positive effects. You know, as well as this, it, will also sh it was also shown that these types of locations, they decreased in syringes that were left around the city. There was a slowdown in the spread of HIV and hep C. There was less government expenses. So every dollar spent on site saved $4 of the taxpayer's money. There was an increase in patients entering rehab clinics through the house's counseling services. You know, with, even with all these advantages though, safe injection houses have still come under a lot of backlash and a lot of scrutiny from the general public and have been slow to be accepted in any areas around the world, especially in the United States. So even with all these advantages though, safe injection houses have still come under that scrutiny and the controversy about the safe injection houses. So the main argument against safe injection houses is that they can be seen to condone illegal activity, right? Okay, we can agree with that. So while they do have their benefits, the pastime of taking heroin or cocaine is still against the law, right? Now, critics of these facilities argue that by offering free needles and an accepting environment in which to take drugs, the government is, in fact, encouraging people to use. They state that the goal should rather be the elimination of these practices through limiting supply and reducing the demand for drugs. I want to propose a question that I would love to get my viewers' opinion on. So reducing demand is the ideal scenario. But how do we reduce demand for the people that are locked in their houses, living under a bridge, or hiding in unknown locations? If drug abusers would all come to a convention for them to learn, then let's do it. But maybe a safe house where they know they are safe and they become visible for therapists and counselors to interact with. If we want to help people, we need to work with them. And we need to work with them where they are at. So if we're interested in saving lives, so locking people in prison or forcing individuals into treatment programs that aren't ready, they can be fatal. And we've found that 
to be fatal for a lot of people. Heroin users that have built a tolerance and they get off the drug for various reasons and then return to use because they felt forced to get into treatment can easily overdose as they've lost that tolerance that they had built before. They return to the drug for a very simple reason. They didn't plan on staying off it. They did it because someone else wanted them to do it. Harm reduction will save lives. And in my opinion, because a good clinician can help the person motivate themselves, which may mean that they continue using while that process plays out. You know, addiction is confusing to those that haven't experienced chemical dependency firsthand. And also those who have, but that doesn't make you an expert on another person. Needle exchange programs are something that have been highly debated. Are we condoning the use of drugs or are we helping to prevent the spread of HIV and hep C? Something to think about. Jody Barber. Jody Barber, fantastic lady, and I mentioned her a lot in this. She sent me this, uh, these Narcan nasal sprays. What are they for? They're to pull people out of an overdose, right? And so, um, are we promoting heroin use by supplying people with this? No but maybe we're helping to save lives. We can't stop people from using drugs. People are gonna use drugs. But if we have an opportunity to be able to get them into a place to where we can talk to them, to be able to discuss things with them. They found in that thing in, in Canada that there were people coming in, and yes, it was a safe house. They did not provide the drugs. They did provide clean needles. They did not inject them also with the drug. They had to do it themselves. But let's say they did too much. Obviously, we've got people there to save their life. They also found that there were numerous people that did that for a period of time. They had counselors there. And eventually, some of them said, you know what? I want to do something. I'm tired of this life. I'm ready to change. And right at that moment, you got somebody there. If we wait, to help people. If we, if somebody comes and goes, oh, I'm ready for treatment and there's nobody there, that desire is not going to last very long. The federal money, for instance, we have, you know, this money that was put out mostly for opiate, um, overdose treatment, get opiate abusers in, even though now we're starting to find a much bigger rise in methamphetamine and cocaine overdoses. Um, as methamphetamine seems to be spreading across the country. And heroin use, cocaine use, meth, meth use, they're cyclical. And we find that throughout history. Heroin came back. It will be here. It will sort of fade out for a period of time. While meth or cocaine takes the center stage, that will go for a while. And then that will die off while heroin comes back. And we've seen that over and over. So it's a cyclical process. So all this money now that we've put into opiate um, individuals, now how does that work for meth? 
there is actually no medical treatment for methamphetamine. And we don't have a lot of appeal. I was a meth user. I'll tell you a quick story. I went to Kaiser. I had Kaiser insurance. And after my last relapse, I went to an office of Kaiser and I went in and just said, you know what? I'm done. I put my hands up and I said, I need a program. I need help. The response that one of the ladies said was she goes, you know, we're not going to give you drugs. I thought, what the fuck? You're not going to give me drugs. I don't want drugs. I want to get off drugs. I don't need drugs. If I wanted to be on drugs, I got plenty of it. And I was buying it by the quarter pound. And so getting the drugs was not the problem, getting off the drugs. But I look at that and I think about that and how discouraging a statement like that is. That is somebody, obviously, that hates drug users. And that's what we have throughout a lot of our society. We have a bunch of people hate drug users. So when people come in and they ask for help and you get statements like that, I, I almost turned around and said, fuck you and walked out. I didn't know. And I did stick it out. And I did get clean again. And I haven't used since. But that's such a crazy thing for somebody to say to somebody that's trying to get off methamphetamine. But this Narcan, I'm really glad that Jody Barber sent me this. She actually sent me a bunch of them. Um, because I definitely want to promote these. I think these are good. I think every household should have a thing of Narcan. Because you never know. This is getting big. This is getting really big. I think, uh, you know, the Cal California, you know, did change the law and actually does now allow syringes to be purchased without prescriptions. I believe that. I think that is great because I was an IV drug user myself. And even though I definitely tried as hard as I could not to share a needle with somebody, there were times that you kind of had to. Because again, methamphetamine and the way it works on the brain is it starts telling your brain, your brain changes. There's a thing called adaptation level theory where your brain rewires itself. And throughout that change process, your brain is saying, I need this. I need this to survive. It became just as important as the food that I needed to eat, even though I did a whole lot more meth than I ate food. But it was working on that same part of the brain. It said, wow, I need to eat. One of the things that methamphetamine does, as well as cocaine, is it basically hits the same part of your brain. That is the satisfaction that I have eaten food. And so methamphetamine actually affects that part of the brain. And it says, I'm satisfied with food, even though I haven't eaten food. There's a lot of the processes that go along with that. But there becomes this idea in your brain of this necessity that I have to do this. I have to do this. Again, I was an IV drug user and I was injecting about an eight ball a day and probably even more. It became so enmeshed in a part of my body. You're losing veins, you're trying to find them, you're trying to stick them in the veins, eventually you gotta hit them in the jugular because that's an open vein. That's sick. It's really sick and it's a sick life. But to have a place or an ability for people to go that can feel safe so they can eventually reach that place, I'm ready to change. 
And if we got people there, can do it. The thing about the federal funds that go is that when somebody needs help and, and wants to get into a program that's federally funded, doesn't happen immediately. It's a process, a lot of paperwork, a lot of documentation. Between the time the person says, I want to change, and by the time they get approved, I guarantee there's a good majority of those people that aren't around anymore. They're gone. And so again, having a place for people to come, to be there, to feel safe, that's what we need. And I believe in that. And I know this is a very controversial topic with there's a lot of the people in the 12-step program. And that brings another topic to my mind is that for years in working in this industry, harm reduction basically says again that Again, it can be complete abstinence that we're promoting, but it definitely says, again, we're re- working to reduce the harm, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people are completely clean and sober. And the sad part over the years, and I might have mentioned this before in a podcast, but the sad part about this over the years is that people in the 12-step program, they become sponsors. They have sponsees. They have grand sponsors. There's a whole family. <laughs> um and these sponsors will tell their sponsees that even if they're on an antidepressant medication, they went through treatment, they have deep depression, or they have anxiety disorders. And a lot of the treatment programs are not using benzodiazepines or any sedative hypnotic to treat anxiety disorders, which those medications were primarily created for, mostly benzodiazepines. And they put them on anticonvulsant meds, which is the most common. Gabapentin is, is probably one of the most common that I've seen. But they'll be put on these meds. Us in treatment that are working with these people, we see this huge change. These people are like initially like depressed, and then throughout treatment, they go on meds, and they're like, yeah, I feel much better. It's not about feeling. It's about functioning. And so we're seeing this huge change in their functioning. They're... They're feeling different and they're feeling happy and they're feeling motivated. And then they leave treatment and their sponsor says, you know, you're on this uh, anti-convulsant medication, you know, because you're on that, you're not completely clean and sober. So you need to get off it. And the ones that believe in the idea that I need to do everything my sponsor says and just believe it. They stop, and the good majority of them relapse. So they go back to the drug of choice that they really like. So treatment programs, especially the ones that may utilize medications to help people, whether it be temporary or long-term, that is a harm reduction, even though it's just an antidepressant medication that they are not completely off all drugs. And you know what? Everybody out there, if you drink coffee, if you smoke cigarettes, you're not off all drugs either. Caffeine, nicotine, a drug. That's kind of weird how I said that. <laughs> a drug. But, but this is something that we got to think about. We want to help people. If we want to help people, I'd rather see them on heroin, sounds crazy, 
but having a safe house, a place that they can go to, which can ultimately help them if they overdose, provide clean needles, and then be there. Be there when they say, I'm ready to change. Then they can be there ready to change and we take them at the moment and we go because you only got a little bit of time before they're going to change their mind. I've seen it over and over. So if we care about our people, we need to fight this. We need to create a safe house in every city out there where people can go and they can feel safe. And even if they're doing illegal drugs, because again, they're doing them anyways, we can provide a safe place for them to do it. We can help save their lives and we can be there when they're ready to do it. Yeah. I know it's crazy. Some people just can't wrap their brain around it. But if we truly care about people, this is what we need to do. I want to thank everybody for listening. Again, my name is Eric McCoy. This is Recovering Through Highness. And again, my choice, I don't do drugs. I stay clean and sober because for me, it's the only way it's going to work. I don't have that ability. I don't have that ability. But if it works for somebody else, why not? Why not? So again, Recovering through highness. Laugh more. I love that one where I, I uh, recover. Uh, let's get high. Oh, that was great. But thank you again for tuning in. Please subscribe to my channel and check out my videos. I think um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be very informative. Trying to be very educational. And at times, trying to be fun. And I have a podcast that is on Buzzsprout and my YouTube channel. My email address is recoveryecosystem.net. Sorry, that's my website. My email address is recoveryecosystem at gmail.com. And again, my name is Eric McCoy. Please send me an email. Please send me a message. I look forward to hearing from you. And I'm always looking for some good guests. Uh, to have on the show. Thank you and have a good rest of the day. God bless.